Welcome to the King's Chapel Podcast. You are about to hear another inspirational message from our lead pastor, Matt Schmidley. It's our prayer that this message will be a blessing and encouragement to your life. And turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, we've been working our way, preaching verse by verse through the book of Matthew, and uh, for about 14, 15 months now, so here we are in chapter 12. To start on uh, today's headlines, or this week's headlines, if you hadn't heard the uh, government shutdown uh, a couple of days ago, whatever that means, um, And there are a lot of interesting ways to look at it, but for the purposes of the text that we're going to look at today, it's, it's been interesting, and I'm not paint, going to paint with a broad brush and say that all politicians are, are hypocritical. That's certainly not the case. So some, some days you wonder, um, but it's certainly not the case. But it's interesting to note that some voices, um, because as many of you know, most of you know, the last government shutdown happened under a Democrat, or a Democrat-controlled Congress, a Democrat president, and, and a Republican-controlled co- Congress. But anyway, it's amazing to see how people who were against the government shutdown last time are now speaking in favor of it, or at least to a certain degree, or, and others who were, thought it was no big deal last time are now acting like everybody's going to die in the streets because of it. It's, it's interesting how some voices, um, now that they are on one side of it or the other, have completely shifted their tone. Never underestimate the power of some people to find the negative in everything. I mean, some people are just wonderful at that. They can, they can criticize anything and anybody, and it's, it's interesting to watch how um, some voices in our country, uh, whether political or on the, or on the news or on, on the radio, find ways to, um, in, in one scenario they were against it, and now they're for it, and it's just, it's annoying. Um, the interesting thing is that in some ways Jesus faced the same things. We've been going through a block of text here where Matthew is explaining in his gospel why Jesus had these critics. In the verses that we've been looking at most recently, it's, it's the Pharisees. We're also going to see later on the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the, the high priest. All of these people are going to be, at some point, going to be not on the side of Jesus, that Jesus Himself, the Son of God, the sinless one, came into the world and had critics, had people against Him, had people that thought He was not living right or doing right or acting right or talking right. And so we're going to pick up chapter 12, and what I want to do first, I want to read, we're going to look all the way to verse number 14, two different accounts of issues relating to the Sabbath. So I want to read it all in one chunk so you can get the overview, and then we're going to walk back through it verse by verse. So Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse number 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is it is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those that were with him, but only for the priest. 
Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you would have known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And he went on from there and entered their synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. What a strange account. Here Jesus is, as Matthew puts these two stories together, and these probably didn't happen on the same Sabbath or even necessarily at the same time. Uh, writers of the Gospels weren't... in. in in antiquity in general, they weren't as, as obsessed with, you know, chronological order as we are today. So they would group things together. So here are a couple of accounts of the Sabbath, and Matthew puts those together. And one of those is eating, eating grain on the Sabbath that you picked, and you, and you would, would take the grain and do that and get the, the kernels and eat it. And the other is healing a man. And at the end of this account, the Pharisees are so mad that they left plotting Jesus' death. Sounds a little extreme, doesn't it? So before we jump into this, let's back up just to get the context to what we looked at last week, Matthew 11. Where is this, where is this coming from? And as you read these verses, let me just kind of give you a little window. As I was preparing this week, there are a lot of questions that start to come into your, your mind. First of all was this, um, so, did Jesus break the Sabbath, or did he not? Did he, um, was he affirming the Sabbath, or was he breaking it, or something else? Um, is Jesus giving us an example of how we should live on the Sabbath? Is, is, the, is the principle of the Sabbath and keeping this a seventh day of rest and worship, does that apply to us as believers today, or is that something that doesn't apply to us as day, today? And I kept... My brain kept wanting to go to those questions, but the truth of the matter is this, is that's not the question that Matthew is interested in, and it's not the question that he is answering. And if we start our quest to unpack these verses with those questions, we're going to end up at a dead end. So we've got to let Matthew speak on his own terms. So Sabbath, if you remember, began all the way in creation that God rested on the seventh day of creation, that as, as he was building a people for himself and they came out, Sinai, that, that the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Sabbath means cease, means stop. It was the day, the seventh day, Saturday, in our reckoning from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, the time that they would cease from work. Do no, it, the scriptures were clear, do no regular work. 
There were a couple of reasons for this. One, one mentioned in, in Exodus is um, that as, as God is giving this command, he says, for you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It was a reminder to the people of God that they weren't slaves anymore. What do slaves do? They work every day, every day, every, seven days a week, nonstop. And the, and the Sabbath day was a reminder that we used to be slaves and we're not anymore. We take a day of rest. We take a day of worship. It was also to remind them of, of the redeeming power of God. It was to remind them of creation, that God himself rested on the seventh day. It uses terms like renewed and refreshed. This was the point. The Sabbath was meant to be a gift for the people. It was meant to be, you get to take a day off. Sometimes we're like, I would love to take a day off. How does that work? And that's what they did. And they took great pains. You know, you couldn't, you weren't, you couldn't cook on the Sabbath. If you, you were supposed to eat and enjoy, and they would have even like feasting on the Sabbath, but you cooked the day before, and then you ate it the next day. If you remember in their, their journey throughout the, the wilderness, as they're headed um, out of Egypt to Sinai and eventually to the Promised Land, on, on the sixth day, they would gather twice as much manna, because on the seventh day, they got so much got the day off that they didn't even have to go out and get manna. It was supposed to be a blessing and like human nature, so many times, we turn what God intended for a blessing into a burden. And that's what it had become in Jesus' day. The Sabbath was a burden. There were, there were 39 explicit laws in the oral Torah, not, not, not the written, but there was an oral Torah that there were 39 explicit laws of how, how all this is supposed to flesh out what you could do, what you could not do. And then on top of that, all these rabbis and other people had all of their opinions on, on what it, what it uh, meant to keep Sabbath. So if you were a follower of a certain rabbi, you maybe had the, the technical way that you would keep Sabbath was a different one, and it was a big fight, and, and people would, would scream at each other like this as Sabbath breakers. It had just turned into a burden, Look back with me now with this whole idea of God wanting to give his people rest on the Sabbath. And look at verse number, chapter 11, verse number 28. Come to me, Jesus is saying, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's no coincidence that right out of that where Jesus says, I am your rest, that Matthew says, well, let's talk about rest. rest. Let's talk about Sabbath. Let's see, let's see what Jesus did with the Sabbath. So verse number one, to read it again. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So the, you know, they would have picked the grains, they would have taken their hands and rubbed them together to remove the husk, and they would have eaten the grain. Nowhere in the law, if you look, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, nowhere does it address this issue of plucking grain and eating it on the Sabbath. 
So already the, the Pharisees are taking things too far. It's not in the law. Now, there were a couple of things that were of interest. There was a man um, that's recorded who they found as they were traveling through the wilderness who was collecting sticks and wood, presumably for firewood, on the Sabbath. And he was condemned as a Sabbath breaker and sentenced to, to death. There's also an account uh, that doesn't have to do with Sabbath, but it has this idea of this grain field um, that you were allowed to, if you were, you were traveling, it says if a traveler is going through a grain field, you are allowed to pluck heads of grain and eat it, but you're not allowed to cut the stalks. So it really had to do with what was, what was hospitable and what was, what was theft. You know, you couldn't you know, drive through Chick-fil-A on your way through. You know, you're, you're traveling and you're like, man, we have not eaten all day. And you see some grain fields and all right, you can take what you can pluck with your hands and you can eat that. That's, you know, that's just caring for one another in hospitality. But you go out there and start you know, taking a sickle to it, uh, that's, that's, that's taking a little too far. That's stealing somebody's grain. So we at least see from Scripture that plucking heads was, and taking that was not considered a big deal. As a little aside, I wonder how the Pharisees were watching this whole account, but that's a different question for a different day. And what's interesting is that Jesus' response to them has to, do, is, has to do with Scripture and is grounded in Scripture. They're pointing out to him, or they're accusing him, what you have, what you have done is unlawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus gives them two different accounts one from one a narrative account and one from the law itself. Look at the first one. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and how those who were with him? Now they entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for um, those with him to eat, but only for the priests. So the account is this, is before David was king, as he was running from Saul, running for his life, that, that he had come upon, he went to the, the town of Nob and came to a priest that was there, and, and the priest had... Um, what we would call the showbread, the, the bread that went in the temple, the bread that was only for the priest to eat. And David shows up, and David was a household name. They knew David. David shows up and says, we're about to starve. And if you read the account, David bends the truth a little bit, so you can study that for yourself. Um, David shows up, and, and the priest says, um, well, I don't have any regular bread. I just have this showbread. And the conversation goes on. He gives it to David, and David eats it. And presumably, that since God didn't strike him down, since God elevated him to the kingship, since God um, put his blessing on him, that this, this is some way that Jesus is saying, you know what, and here's the point Jesus is making. Because the issue of him and his disciples it doesn't seem like it was life-threatening. It wasn't the issue of bread in the temple. It was different. Here's what Jesus seems to be saying, that the law of the Sabbath is not absolute. That there are things in the law that are not absolute. So, so the, the, the issue with bread in the temple, only for the priests. But that is not an absolute 100% always do that and let somebody die rather than eat it. There are laws in the Old Covenant that have exceptions. There are times that the laws come in conflict and you've got to choose between, between them. And in this case, Jesus is saying it was either let David and his men die or give them the bread. And, and they chose right by giving them the bread. And so there are things in the law that are not absolute. He gives a second example of this principle, that, that, that the Sabbath and other things in the law are not absolute. Look at verse number 5. 
Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? What? Priests profaning the Sabbath. What's going on? The priests had to work. <laughs> that, was, that was their work day. People come, you got you to offer sacrifices, you got to bake the bread, you got you to do this. I mean, it was, you know, everybody gets Sabbath off except for the priests. The priests work on Sabbath. So what's the, what is the issue? There is, as Jesus is interpreting, there are times that there, are, there is a hierarchy of, of Old Testament ritualistic commands, and there are times that you have to decide between them. So what's more important, the temple service or, or the Sabbath? Well, according to how this law is written, the temple service would become more important than the Sabbath. You would rather keep the temple going and break the Sabbath then stop the temple to keep the Sabbath. Am I making any sense here? You following me? There is, there is a, you got to make decisions. So the temple is more important than the Sabbath. So look at now. <laughs> look at what Jesus says. And I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. So it's Sabbath, it's temple, it's Jesus. Jesus says, I tell you, something greater than the Sabbath or greater than the temple is here. And you read this. This is one of the accounts that's in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and Mark and Luke put in a, a, another phrase that Matthew leaves out where Jesus says this, for the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. God created this day of rest for his people to be a blessing not so they have to carry this burden around of, oh, I can't do anything today. Or I've got to be very careful of, of what I do and how I do that because God might, strike, God might strike me dead. They point out God created the Sabbath for us. For us. And then Matthew includes a verse that neither Mark nor Luke include. In fact, if you have remembered, this is the second time that Matthew includes this next verse. And I would say... Because Matthew has included it now a second time, the others didn't, that this is probably a pretty important principle for how Matthew understands the life and the ministry of Jesus and the nature of the new covenant itself. Matthew quotes from Hosea 6.6. 6. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What does that mean? If you, want, if you can get there quickly, turn with me to Hosea. If not, it'll be on the screen. Hosea 6.6, 6, and I want to read you this. We, we read this several weeks ago. I want you to read a larger portion for context so you can really see what this I desire mercy, not sacrifice phrase means. Starting at verse 4, the prophet Hosea says, what, and God speaking through him, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim, and what shall I do with you, O Judah? He's talking to his people. Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. That's not a good way to describe somebody's love. It's like love that is just fickle, like, like fog. Therefore I have hewn, you, or hewn them by the prophets, and I have slain them by the words of my mouth, for my judgment goes forth as light. And then here's the verse, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love... 
or the, the, the Greek in the New Testament has, is the word mercy. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. So this is parallelism. He's saying essentially the same thing twice. I desire steadfast love, which goes with the knowledge of God in the next phrase, and rather than sacrifice, which goes with burnt offerings in the next phrase. Saying essentially the same thing for two different, in two different ways for a poetic reason. It was how they did their, their poetry. So God's saying... I care more about your, your compassion. I care more about your love for me. I care more about you knowing me and serving me than I, can, than I care about sacrifices and burnt offerings. Again, he's, he's, he's laying this hierarchy. And listen to how he explains it. But like Adam, they, his people, transgressed the cov- covenant and they dealt faithlessly with me. Now, I want you to notice that as, as God begins to lay out their sins, none of these are sins relating to rituals or sacrifices or burnt offerings. They are all sins of the heart and sins of morality. Watch what it says. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. This is bad. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy, and it goes on. So, so now Matthew is quoting this verse again, and this is obviously is key to Matthew's understanding of who Jesus is. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That the point of Jesus' coming has nothing to do with the Old Testament ritualistic law and system. There are some people who think that and have this system of theology that, that says that that one day the, you know, the, the final plan of God is to, you know, to rebuild the temple and they're going to start back t- temple sacrifices and then that's going to be the... And that's not at all what we see in the New Testament. That the sacrifices of the temple are downplayed. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So what does Jesus do? If you notice the point that he's making, for, for something greater than the temple is here, he's already put Sabbath temple and he put himself above that. Jesus could have just said, something greater than the temple is here, and so in my authority I have come to change things. I have come to do something new, and I can do that because I have authority to do that. And that would have, been, that would have certainly been true. But Jesus instead reasons with the Pharisees from the Scriptures and shows how what he is doing and how he is reinterpreting the Sabbath not as a day or certain things to follow, but as rest in Jesus himself, how it is consistent with the message of Scripture up until that time. That he is not taking a new route or doing away with the law or the prophets. He's come to fulfill them. He's come to say, you know what? You used to just get a day of rest. I've come to do something better. I've come that you can have rest in me, that I can be your rest. And so now it goes on to the second story. And he went on from there and entered the synagogue, and there was a man, this is verse 9 and 10, a man was there with a withered hand, And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? So here's, you're you're getting a little picture into the, the motivation of them. 
One of the, the key points, as they would argue about what they could do in the Sabbath and what they couldn't do, one of the key points that they would have is this, is that anything that could be weighted on, that you didn't have to do on the Sabbath, if you could do it before or after the Sabbath, it was best to just wait and not do things on the Sabbath that you didn't have to do. So, but then they would also have all these debates about them. And so when it came to healing, there were a few debates that were going on um, between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and different rabbis and even um, the, a group that was called the Essenes that lived up by the, the Dead Sea, and they were the strictest, craziest of them all. You would not have wanted to be an Essene unless you just like pain, because that's just how they roll. Um, so, but there were these debates that would go on. Can you give a sick person medicine on the Sabbath? And some would say, yes, you can. Some would say, well, you can as long as you um, prepare the medicine before the Sabbath and then are just giving it to them on the Sabbath. And they debate about these things. There was even one school of thought that says, you can pray on the Sabbath, pray to God, but you can't pray for the sick on the Sabbath because that's work. You've got to pray for them before or after the Sabbath. I mean, it was just it's crazy. So they're, they're, they're setting a trap for Jesus. This was, this was a hot-button issue. So they're setting a trap for Jesus. What about, what about healing on the Sabbath? Now, I want you to pay attention to the details of this story as we, as we read them. And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? He's pointing out their inconsistencies in all the um, traditions that they had built up around the actual law of the Sabbath. They talked about putting a fence around the law was the terminology that they would use. So let's put a fence around the actual law so we won't break, we definitely won't break the real law. And they would just, I mean, it was just a big burden. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. So let's just notice here. Did Jesus spit on the ground and make mud and rub it on the man's hand like, you know, he'd done with the man's eyes? No. Did Jesus go tell this man to wash or pick up his, his mat and go home like he had done with, with others? No. Did Jesus even pray for this man? No. <laughs> what did Jesus do? Stretch out your hand. He just told the man what to do. Stretch out your hand. And the man did, and his hand was healed. There is in no way, in any way, that what Jesus did or what this man did could in any way be construed as breaking Sabbath. No way. I mean, you know, they would have these healers or these doctors who would do things, and it was, and it was work, and that, you know, that was an issue. All Jesus did say, say was stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and he's healed. And it wasn't good enough. And the Pharisees left plotting to kill Jesus. So at the beginning of this message, I said that this message is not really about Sabbath keeping. It's not whether, whether or not Jesus broke the Sabbath here or didn't, or whether he affirmed the Sabbath or didn't, or what the teachings for New Testament believers are about the Sabbath or didn't. And this is a good principle that, that you should have in your mind when you're reading Scripture and interpreting it, that the first thing you have to do is to understand the point that the original author is trying to make. And Matthew makes it clear in verse number 10, that they were looking for a reason to accuse him. And in verse 14, that the result of this, that they 
went and conspired on how to kill Jesus. So here's Matthew's point. The religious leaders were looking for a reason, legitimate or not, to condemn Jesus. They were looking for anything, anything to condemn this man to death. Even calling him a Sabbath breaker when all he did was tell a man, stretch out your hand. Let's call him a Sabbath breaker and let's kill him. They were looking for anything. So why is this important? Well, put yourself in the shoes of an early church Christian. Maybe it's A.D. 60 or 70 or 80. Matthew either hadn't wrote his gospel or had just written it. Jesus had died 20, 30, 40 years ago. In fact, if you're an adult, you probably, or maybe a kid when all this happened, and there is this tension that we see. We see it in the book of Acts as Paul would go to a town, a Gentile town, and there would be a Jewish community and a synagogue, and Paul would start there and he'd preach, and, and some of them would get saved and others of them would get mad and they'd kick him out. And there was this tension that began as a disagreement, grew in tension, to where eventually the synagogues excommunicated the Christians and called them heretics. So imagine if you were a a believer in Jesus. What's one of your big questions? What happened? What happened between the Jewish Christians and the Jews? Why, Why do they think we're heretics? Why did we get kicked out of the synagogue? I mean, I, I imagine this is, all, this is all just something I make up, but I just I imagine somebody making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for some sort of festival. And while they're there, they're talking with uh, some of the religious leaders and priests and the temple courts, and they, they, these people find out that, that that person worships Jesus as the Son of God, and they say, oh, Jesus, he's accursed, he's a heretic, he's a Sabbath breaker. And you follow him. And you've never heard this before. And you go back to your church. And maybe it's the community that Matthew is living in. And Matthew is going to write his gospel to Jewish Christians specifically. And you say to Matthew, I just got back from Jerusalem. And they said that Jesus was a Sabbath breaker. And Matthew says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you what really happened. Let me tell you this Sabbath breaking that they were so concerned about. It was rubbing grain together with our hands so that we could eat while we traveled. It was telling a man with a withered hand to stick out his hand, and they called him a Sabbath breaker for that. That would have been one of your biggest questions as a new believer or as a Christian. What happened? Why did we break with the temple? Why did we break with the other Jews? And Matthew here is outlining the account for them Here's what happened. The religious leaders were looking for any reason, legitimate or not, to condemn Jesus. He was going to die, and there was nothing, in in a human sense, there was nothing he could do to stop it. Obviously, he had the authority to. But in a human sense, these people were going to kill him. They were just looking for any reason to make it happen. That was Matthew's point. This is what these verses are really about. And we're going to talk just briefly about a couple of points on Sabbath, and I'm going to leave you wishing I would have talked more about that. But we have got to understand Matthew on his own terms. He's explaining why there was a break with the Jews. 
So what do we do? How does that apply to our lives? I think it's important, and this seems very elementary, but we're going we're gonna to say it again. It is a normal part of the Christian experience to be condemned by others, even religious people. And I'm almost put especially religious people. That is the normal part of Christian experience. And we in, in America historically have li- really lived in an abnormal culture, in an abnormal period in Christian history where, uh, where the pastor was called, you know, the parson, the, the, the person of, of esteem and respect and all of these things. And, and it really, that's, look at the global Christianity, you look at the history of Christianity, Christianity has always been founded by a man who was condemned to die by people who are going to find any reason to do it. And we shouldn't be surprised when we experience some of those same things. It does not mean that we have lost track. In fact, a lot of times it means that we are right on track, that this is the normal part of the Christian experience. It happened to Jesus. He was misunderstood. He was misquoted. He was lied about. And this is the issue. So, Let's jump to the other questions just quickly. Did Jesus break the Sabbath or did he affirm it? Because that's, as I was studying this, that's, kept, that's where my brain kept wanting to go. I'm like, I want to, I you know, and I'm reading all this stuff in the Old Testament and I'm reading all this stuff. And the answer is neither. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage was not did Jesus break it or affirm it. And Matthew was unclear um, exactly what about it. He, he really didn't do either one. He taught the Pharisees about what his life was, and, the, and he's teaching his disciples, come to me, I am your rest. So did Jesus, what's the next one here? I've got on my notes, or what is it? Are Christians required to keep the Sabbath or some other day, do we have it? Are Christians required to keep the Sabbath or some other day of rest as holy to the Lord? And this could take a whole sermon. This could take um, a whole series of sermons. So I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. I'm going to give you my conclusion. If you disagree, be a Berean and go home and study the scriptures for yourself. Too quickly, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, picking up at verse number 20. Wait, that's not the right one. Verse number, what do I have? (laughs) Sorry, 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. He's talking about their food laws. The Jews had three main distinctive things about them. It was their food laws, their Sabbath laws, and their circumcision laws. And Galatians deals with all the circumcision stuff. So this this, this is written to a Gentile church who apparently was being criticized by Jewish believers. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, and you see those three, festival, new moon, and Sabbath uh, together several times in, in the Torah. He's clearly pointing toward the Old Testament law. These, and here's a key point, these are a shadow of the things to come, 
but the substance belongs to Christ. So let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, like in, you know, in, not like in injuring yourself, or not actually injuring yourself, but, but um, putting yourself down in order to do this, insisting on asceticism or the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, not, here's the key, not holding fast to the head, which is Jesus, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, and through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Now turn to Romans chapter 14. And this will be where the last verse we look at. Romans 14. Romans 14. We'll pick up verses 1 through 9. We'll read it quickly. Romans 14, 1 through 9. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. And so now Paul is going to give examples of what quarrels over opinions look like. One person believes that he may eat anything, while a weak person eats only vegetables. I don't live that way. Let no one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let no one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment? On the servant of another, as it is before his own master that he stands and falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person, so here's another example of opinion, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. So he's putting this in the same category as eating meat or not eating meat. Each one, and here's the key, here's why I said, if if I don't give you enough information, go home. And study the scriptures for yourself. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. For one observes the day, presumably the Sabbath, observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he has given thanks to God. And while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of God, and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live and if we die to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are, we are the Lord's. To this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So, some people eat vegetables only, and some eat anything. And Paul says, you can have freedom. In fact, he says that the person who, with the stricter... this is this, This makes me and sometimes my uh, self-righteous, legalistic tendencies uh, squirm. He says that the person who insists on only vegetables is the one of weak faith, and the one who who has greater liberty is of greater faith. That should make you a little bit uncomfortable, because it does me. If you extrapolate that out, you know, yeah, food, we can all agree on that. But you start extrapolating that out to other things, and it's like, we've got to have some wisdom from the Lord here. So some count one day as holy to the Lord, and some count all days as the same. What's the point? To the person who, who gives one day and says, this is God's, they are giving God, they're honoring God with that day. And to the person who gives all days to God, they are honoring God with all of those days. To the person who eats, they're giving thanks to God for what they eat. And to the person who abstains, they're giving thanks to God for their, their fasting and their abstaining. These, it's, it's all to God. So the point is this, is that Jesus is our rest. 
I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure and be very clear. Here is the conclusion on this, the Sabbath matter as far as I understand Scripture. Christians are free in Christ. We are free to keep a Sabbath, and we are free not to. The Sabbath is the shadow. The reality is Christ. He is our rest. If you're counting on a day, of, a day off to actually give you true rest, your hope is in the wrong place. It's in the wrong place. If you ever had a day off, took a day off, and the next day you're still just as tired as you were before. I mean, you're glad you had the day off, but I'm like, I'm still tired. If we, if we place our hope of rest in a day off, and it's a wonderful thing, there's nothing wrong with keeping either the literal Sabbath, the seventh day, or a Sunday as a day of rest. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong. But if that is your hope for rest, you've put your hope in the wrong place. If you rest on a Sabbath day, use it as a reminder that just as I am resting in this today, Jesus is my ultimate rest. The writer of Hebrews points forward to the age to come as a Sabbath rest for the people of God that we are waiting for. We find our rest in Him. So we as believers, we serve, to come back to Matthew's point, we serve a God, a Savior, who was not just misunderstood, but had people who were actively seeking His death and destruction. So maybe you've come in here this morning and you are frustrated with that area of your life. There are people who, who are not treating you well. Welcome to life as a Christian. Give it to God and let Him encourage you. Let's stand together. Let's pray. While your heads are bowed and no one is looking around, I want to simply ask, maybe you're here today and you are far from God. You're not a believer in Jesus. You've not repented of your sins. Maybe you've never done that or maybe it was a long time ago and today as you live out your life in this, this last week, this last month, this last year, you have not lived for him. You are not living for him. You are not trying to live for him. You want to get as far away from God as you can. And today the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you need to come back to Jesus. You need to give him your life. You need to repent. If that's you, well, no one's looking around. If that's me today, is there anyone? You need to lift up your hand as your very first step of faith and say, that's me. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness of sins. I need to repent. As we have our concluding prayer, maybe you are dealing with some struggles because some people are rejecting you simply because you are a believer, a Christian. Hebrews tells us we have a great high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. If you're being rejected because you're a believer, Jesus was rejected too. Call to him and he'll help you. We've also talked about Sabbath and about rest and about turning our eyes to Jesus. And so maybe today you're just, you're tired and you need more than a day off. You need a savior. You need rest in Jesus. Find that today in him. Let's pray together. Father, we lift our hearts and our voices and our, our spirits to you. And we pray for those today who are facing discouragement because they're being rejected, because they're being mistreated, because they're being lied about, 
because they're, it's, it's unjust what's happening. Lord, we pray, first of all, that you'd give them justice, that you would save them from the injustice of these accusations or these things that are coming upon them, and that you would bring about justice. But Lord, until that day comes, and sometimes that isn't in this age, until the, but in the age to come, Lord, would you give us peace? Give those peace today who are enduring injustice and accusations and condemnations for the sake of your name. Lord, may they find encouragement and hope in you that it will be worth it, that you will reward. And Jesus, we do look to you. All who are weary and heavy laden, we come to you and we find rest for our souls. And thank you that you have given us the principle of the Sabbath and that we are not slaves and that you have invited us to rest and that we can, in your grace, take a day off and worship and honor you and set it aside to you. But thank you that we're not bound by legalism. You've set us free. That someone greater than the temple came and we serve him. His name is Jesus. And so we rest in you until the day that you come and bring us into our eternal Sabbath rest. Thank you for encouraging us today, speaking to us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. Walk in his grace and his peace and his rest. God bless you.